0: hey welcome to the out of spec podcast we are joined here with john neff he is editor at large with motor one and uh, of course we have kyle connor here with me and i'm jordan Schiefer, and we're just going to talk about you know electric rvs rvs in general cars you know this is just fun automotive content with a special guest so guys let's kick it right off what do you want to start with
2: well i think it's important to talk about john's history in automotive because john ran one of the largest automotive sites for a long time and is now sort of onto the next chapter for a little bit. So John, can you give us a history of Autoblog, then Motor One and Inside EVs and now what's coming in the future? Sure, yeah, I started
1: in this business of automotive journalism uh, in the early 2000s and I started writing for Autoblog and, and quickly became its editor in chief. And I ran that site for 10 years. Um, until the the early teens. Uh, I left there. I had a brief stint at the Wirecutter, which was one of my absolute favorite uh, sites for buying guides and things like that. I helped them set up their their kind of automotive division. Uh, And then I came to Motor One um, in about 2017. Uh, And I've been with Motor One for five years. I was editor-in-chief for most of those five years. And we had a really, we've had really, we had a really great successful run. We've built not only um, Motor One into a global network of about 13 different editions written in 12 different languages, uh, but we've also launched, uh, or not launched, we acquired Inside EVs and have also built that site out uh, to a big global network as well. So, uh, but recently I stepped back from my editor in chief role um, to kind of a, a smaller editor-at-large role because I'm taking this next year off with my wife to basically go RVing around the country. Uh, we we put an order in for a Winnebago Echo, which I know you're familiar with, Kyle. You've got the uh, the other one, the Revel. Um, and we're basically waiting for it to be delivered. It's been delayed because of chip shortages, and they had one recalled where they stopped production. but. So we're basically waiting for that RV and then we're going to take off and I'm just going to kind of help with with motor one and inside EVs uh, on the side as much as I can while we're traveling.
2: And well, so, okay, that's I mean, honestly, one of the (laughs) the most impressive automotive careers, you know, a journalist could want because, you know, you really led to the creation of, I think, some of the most reputable sites that are in the business. So, um, you know, our audience knows we do a ton of stuff with inside EVs. We have huge friends and fans of the site. Um, but it's really impressive of just how ethical and how great the coverage is. How do you build a team to get excited to write about news, get excited about write about cars and not necessarily just go out and slide around and do the silly stuff, but actually sort of move the industry forwards in terms of coverage?
1: Yeah, I'm, it's interesting because as an editor in chief, I think I'm very, um, odd uh, because I think a lot of editor in chiefs are the face of the brand, and and they're the ones who get the who take the biggest invites to drive the fanciest cars, and and that's kind of the editor in chief style I grew up with. I'm much more like the the wizard behind the curtain. Uh, I, I I I'm very much an operational editor in chief, and I spend a lot of time with my team, embedded doing the things that they're doing, um, and. Probably the thing I'm most proud of, because I'm, I'm not the world's best writer, I'm not the world's best driver, uh, I like managing the team. And I think like the proudest, uh, the, stati- the statistic I'm most proud of is how little turnover our teams have had. Like we have writers who've been with us since the beginning of Motor One, all five years. Most of the team has. And and that at, at, at the bare minimum tells me they enjoy what they're doing and they enjoy who they're doing it with and we all have a good time while we're doing it and i think that's if you can if you can create that atmosphere in a business where you still have to make money i think that's a a real achievement so so yeah it's it's hard i mean um finding people is always the hardest i mean you probably know this when you're looking for people to hire you know it you just never know it's a crapshoot kind of and you just do your best to kind of feel somebody out and, and you want them to be good at what you want them to do. But I think it's also important you, you want to meld personalities together. So, you know, they need to work with a group as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, being a manager, as I'm sure you know, Kyle, is also managing personalities and getting everyone to work well together and pointing them in the same direction and 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 making that train move along the track. So, so yeah, that's kind of what I see the job uh,
2: of an editor-in-chief as. That's an interesting perspective because we have much more of a dictatorship here where we just (laughs) go the way I want to go, depending on the mood. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You can do that too. You can do that too. (laughs) No, Um, I I mean, no, but it is impressive. Like I've, I've worked with you uh, for Inside EVs never as a full-time employee, but have seen the way you've managed. And it's always been, uh, shocking to me how things get done in such an efficient way. And so, yeah, just, just huge respect for what you've been able to do with, with these brands. Um, because I don't think people realize how crazy it is to manage a global platform. You're dealing with yeah. people in every time zone with different languages. And this guy's that got that problem. This guy's got yeah. that. This one has this opinion. And, and this is something that, that we've kind of been struggling with, you know, starting a new site, we're brand new, we're, you know, 20 years, 30 years behind everyone trying to do this and playing catch up, which all the odds are against us. How do you get someone, (laughs) maybe you don't, who has really strong personal bias towards X to then cover something objectively. Mm. And obviously that's supposed to be their job, but what, what does that even look like? Have you had to deal with that before? What, what, that's been my hardest problem. Yes. I mean, I, I have had to
1: deal with it before. And remember, like, you and I are kind of in new media, right? A, a lot of people that we're working with, that we hire even, didn't go to journalism school. So they didn't get that, that idea beat into them about objectivity, about not having bias. Um, when you when you do get people who've gone to journalism school, they're, they're usually already trained to do that. But when you pick, you know, bloggers and, and just people who are good writers uh, up off the street... And, and a, lot of, a lot of the people um, I work with and have, have hired or contracted to write for us um, are like that. They didn't go to journalism school. They just have a passion for this subject and they're good writers. Um, you, you either have to teach them that or they come with that. But when I have encountered that that really strong bias and they won't let it go no matter how many times I've, I've talked to them about it, that you have to kind of have a conversation with them and say, look, if, if you can't walk down the middle and show both sides, um, then then this isn't the right place for you. There, there are sites that are pro this and pro that, and you can go right there and and have a great career. But you need to be able to write down the middle in such a way that includes, I think, your tone. Because you can write the correct words to put both sides of an issue, but writing also has a tone to it. And in I, I've seen a lot of writers who have a bias they try to write objectively but that tone seeps through and it's like the readers can tell you have an opinion on this and right there the the validity the integrity of your piece is gone because they know you're either for or against this this one thing uh, and obviously in the world of evs you know tesla is the the giant thing that everybody has an opinion about and so so yeah we've had issues around people you know Trying to write writing about Tesla has been the most challenging automaker to to write about in my career, and that's just, that's just one of the reasons why.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's also partially because we can't go to them and get any comment, so it's it's purely speculation.
1: Yeah, all made. you've got is this one guy who's his own personality tweeting, and so that colors everything. Uh, and then you add in that people are trying to make money off of Tesla stock. And so, you know, you have the the anti-Tesla people and the pro-Tesla people who are both trying to make money, and they're constantly trying to feed bias into the news cycle to get what they want, to, 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 to either make the stock go up or down. And we've had to put up safeguards against that. And like, you know, tips that come in about Tesla get treated very uh, much more, um strictly uh with a you know gone over with a fine tooth comb than about any other automaker because we've been burned so many times by like taking a tip writing about it and then finding out that this was just a guy who had an agenda because you know he's shorting tesla or or vice versa it happens on both sides
2: yeah of course i mean this is yeah welcome welcome to the world of evs and we'll get into that a little bit more but on the media side what is the future going to look like is it video is it written Mm. obviously no one's doing print anymore Uh, but we're seeing the shift from you know journalists that went to school that went through i think really the only like journalistic media outlet would be motor week that were they were doing there. you know john davis doing this his Mm. show every week but what do you (laughs) think the future looks like with youtubers us idiots playing around with cars then going to review them What's the path? Yeah, in? it's
1: so funny that you bring that up because earlier in my career when I was at Autoblog, uh, video was much younger then. Um, but I, I, I got my views of, about doing video for, for cars then when video was, it, it was very expensive and the return on investment was very low and very not guaranteed. And over the, the last decade or 15 years, None of that's kind of changed. Like video is still exp- can still be very expensive to create, and the return on investment can still be very low if we're just talking about a YouTube channel and what YouTube pays. Uh, the, there's some big differences that have happened in the last 15 years, though. For one, I never thought that I would sit down in the evening and turn on YouTube to watch. You know, back in the day, I had cable and I watched my shows, maybe I televoted them, but nowadays, like YouTube is one of the first thing. First things I turn on when I sit down in the evening to see what new videos from the people I like have have come. So it, you know YouTube being like its own network is is I think a huge development. But then also the other social media platforms like TikTok, like Instagram and like Facebook. like you know video exists on all of those other platforms too. So it's video has always been a challenge because of, of the return on investment equation. And if you don't have that figured out beforehand of like, where is that revenue going to come from uh, eventually, because usually you don't start off with the revenue right away. You got to build the audience. Um, You know, if you don't figure that out, you're not going to have a very long runway because video is just going to eat up so much of your costs so quickly. Um, So yeah, it's, it's been, I, I have tons of respect for people like you who go out and create YouTube channels and brands from scratch. You make yourselves the brand. Uh, I, I think that has been kind of the proven to be the successful path when you're looking at video. Um, you know, you make yourself the brand, you you be consistent, you feed, just, just like with our, our blogs and we're putting out tons of articles every day, you know, you need to be consistent with video and put out a number of videos every week at a regular time so people can get used to when it's coming and be ready for it and, and all of that. So So, yeah, like I said, I think you have, even though you may have been doing this a lot less long than I have, you you have a lot more experience with video and being down in those trenches. Um, I mean, we
2: figured out YouTube, but that's just one platform. I mean, at the end of the day, we've built, what do we have? 11 channels now, something like that. And we're doing 53 videos a week. That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. Something like this is what we have to do. And so I mean, the big question is what happens if YouTube fails, then we're going to go sleep on your couch or in your echo one day, right? (laughs) Right, So, you know, there's not much of a backup. So I've been super interested in, we need to get the YouTube machine up and running. All of the money that the bigger channels creates goes into funding the smaller channels in about three years. We'll repeat the cycle and this will just kind of get bigger. If everything stays the same, the Mm -hmm. big question is what if it just doesn't work? And so there are other channels, content, yeah. content.
1: And I think fortunately, YouTube has shown to be um, not like, say, an AOL or a Yahoo. like, like they're, they're definitely old internet, but they have they, they seem to be kind of with us forever they progress um,
0: with the times
1: yeah yeah they, they've made enough changes to progress with the times and they haven't always made the right ones and i think they still have a lot of things to improve especially to treat publishers better uh but um and you know i think i think it's still true that they're the second largest um search engine search engine yep. so you know that's huge and of course google owns them so they're weaved in with google which is all important um but yeah i think things will eventually change and just like you know with the advent of tiktok and and, and that came on the scene so fast as it becomes so big uh, so quickly. But it's all a question about monetizing, right? Like you, you can, I, I think it's important to experiment on all the platforms that come along. And you have to see, will that platform provide revenue directly through their, the, the, their structure, you know, like the, the TikTok creator fund or, or how YouTube pays? or does this platform present a new way to monetize where you work directly with a company that advertises to do like you know spots in them or something like that um and you know i i definitely see larger youtube channels going that route where they're getting direct advertisers they're yeah that's how we make our money yeah live commercials things like that so um, yeah, you just can't, you can't live off of, off of YouTube's programmatic revenue.
2: Yeah. And, and it changes for each month. I was just looking at our numbers and we have a 70% dip December to January. Yeah. And that's just because everyone was advertising, then they weren't. Thankfully we have Lexi and she does all of our sales and I don't have to think about the numbers, but like, I don't know what other YouTube channels would be doing, I think. Um, and YouTube does a terrible job of explaining future predictions, how you're making your money. Uh, and and any, yeah. like you mentioned, publishing tools are is garbage. So the site needs a lot of work. Um, but I think it is here to stay. The big thing for me is new short form stuff. Yeah. I mean, we get recognized. I think it's location based around town from TikTok more than we do on YouTube. And so like I'll walk into Starbucks and be like, you're the dude from TikTok. And I'm like, we make YouTube videos every day. Uh
1: Yeah, check out our YouTube channel.
2: Yeah, this is such an important platform. And um, yeah, but the hardest thing to figure out with TikTok is how their algorithms work. They're constantly changing. Same with YouTube, same with Google. Um, But TikTok seems to really like go from one end of the spectrum to the other. And so yeah, it, sw- found- it swings wildly. It'll, it'll give you the world
1: one day and then just totally cut off the spigot the next day. It's funny though, because I, I dabble in every social media platform as they come out because, because of my job and, and trying to see if, you know, motor one or inside of these needs to be on it. And I never really got into Instagram. I never really got into Twitter. Uh, TikTok came along, and I'm addicted like a 14-year-old girl. Like <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, have my TikTok session every single night, where I'm on it for like an, over an hour. Same, uh, yeah. It, it's it. it's just it's it's a good platform. Uh, that that is, I, I actually I think their algorithm is really good. Like when I'm looking at my for you page on TikTok and scrolling through. They're they're hitting me pretty closely, right? I'm like, I think
2: they know me better than I do.
1: Yeah, I'm like I'm like subscribing to people like two or three people a day. And that to me tells me they're really understanding me if they're finding people I want to see more of. Yep. Um so I, I really like TikTok. You know, the monetization on TikTok is up in the air. Again, the the platform monetization is terrible, like yep. even the, the people who do get into the creator fund earn
2: practically nothing. So right, we earn zero. I don't. I mean, like we, have, I think less than a thousand dollars since we started TikTok. Like it's nothing. Yeah, and that's why. And that's why you you see a lot of TikTokers
1: who are like, go like go subscribe to me on Instagram. Go subscribe yeah, to me on YouTube. I, I have better stuff
2: there. And I'm like, I don't I don't really want to go there. I'm here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? There's no. You can never feed the business somewhere else.
1: No. So you really you just have to keep playing with it. Let the platform evolve to see if a new new way to monetize it. comes comes along. But yeah, I mean TikTok right re- TikTok right now is like the most addictive platform that that I'm I'm playing with.
2: Have you seen this guy, Forrest Auto Reviews? He was one of the yes. early TikTok reviewers. Uh, Jordan's been friends with him since like kids. I mean you yeah. guys yeah, know we- each other forever. Um so which was funny because we met totally separate from Forrest. But anyway, <laughs> um Forrest is a full-time automotive TikToker. Yeah. He does nothing else. Yeah. And so, how does he make his money? So you don't understand this.
0: It's a fascinating thing with TikTok because the exposure is so much larger. So, they did actually surpass YouTube last year with view, um, yeah, numbers, yeah. Count, yeah, and time watched, which is crazy because YouTube is huge. Oh, um, even
1: time watched yeah, and, you, and YouTube has long form, right? So you'd think yep. the time watched would be, would be higher, but but yeah. yeah.
0: TikTok. Tick, um, I mean, it's an old statistic now, so it's probably worse, but the average person spends 33 hours a month on TikTok. And for every person who spends five minutes, there's someone else doing two hours. So it's, you know, yeah, it's crazy, but the exposure is so high. So you don't really get the monetization from views or ads per se, but people like Forrest, basically what he does is he's like, look auto companies or you know cuts clothing or like different um sponsors he's like here's my numbers i do millions per video sponsor me like he he gets ad revenue through almost like private ad things not through tiktok tiktok pays him minimally yeah
2: so that's one thing we have yet to experiment with for tiktok i mean we have good numbers the problem is it's hard to prove consistency we've learned if you crash a car big numbers (laughs) (laughs) well yeah so we got crashed into we had the new jeep greg right i saw that yeah yeah the worst possible situation brand new car you know we hadn't even filmed with it we were on our way to do a shoot and this dude slams into the side of us and so we're like oh thankfully like everyone's fine like silentus didn't seem to care which was interesting but anyway happens and um that video's done like five million views, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, everyone knows I, us as the people who have crashed the jeep.
1: I, I think you're doing the right thing because I've seen you on TikTok trying different ideas, trying different formats. Like I love, I love when you when you skid the vehicle into view and then tear out at the end. Like that's a great intro right. and outro. Right. Um, but but like I think the TikToks that I'm most addicted to are the ones that kind of they they figure out a format like. They tell a story and they do it every day, you know, right? Because right. you got to it's got to be repeatable a million times. Honestly, I think three a day is the key. Yeah, that's what you said. And, yeah, and and that's a lot, man. You know, yeah, uh, but for anybody. That, and that's
2: in between. You have to obviously for us run our YouTube business first, and right. then it's Like, let's just squeeze in TikToks. And we can.
1: a lot of people who are doing TikTok are doing complicated edits; like, they're, they're- not they're not just you know
2: single this is shot. mr complicated edit right here he adds five hours to every shoot trying to get this <laughs> transition that that, that's that's every video editor i've ever met they're all they're, they're, all, they're all
1: perfectionists and you, you just got to beat it out of them
2: yeah i'm just like let's just get it in there and yeah. you know
1: we'll see if it does the thing yeah exactly exactly so it'll be it'll be super interesting the way things shake out i mean you know wait another two or three years there'll be another social media platform probably
2: yeah so I think the 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 challenge for these existing large sites in my view is there's no singular person identity willing to take on the new channels which is where we've like, had that I do a lot of presenting yeah. you do a lot of presenting but imagine asking motor trends xy whatever journalist to say hey can you run our tiktok and like why wouldn't they just do that themselves right yeah
1: it, you know it's um we've had that conversation about motor one where it's like, you know, we have four or five different editors who could appear in a video on our YouTube channel. So it's really hard to get a consistent face in front of the audience for them to get used to and want to see. So we've talked about, you know, making just one of our editors, the person who only does YouTube videos and they're like, you know, they're the personality that people can get uh, interested in and addicted to. Uh, And the other social media channels are, are kind of the same way where, you know, we we have one editor kind of responsible for each one and it's it's kind of more based on luck it was just like who who loves instagram and and that editor raised their hand and be like okay you you manage our instagram channel who right, loves right, facebook yeah. okay you do that and and But it's right. I mean, we have our team kind of more committed to the brand than, than their own personal brands. They're, they're committed yeah. to the Motor One brand more than their own personal brands. And that's not, a, that's not a judgment because I've seen the positive effects of both. Because when when we talk to automakers uh, and talk about inside EVs, they're like, oh, I see that, you know, Tom Malagny and Kyle Connor are, are working with you. And they're, they're big influencers. And they like the fact that some people working with us have their own brands and are well known. So, you know, it goes both ways. Um, and I mean, again, going back to like my management style, I always just work with what I have, right? You know, if I have a group of, uh, if I have a, a team where no one on the team has their own big um, social media uh, brand, I'm not going to be able to create that out of nothing or, or sure, it, it would take sure. years for them to create that. So yep. I work with what I have and I just have them pour everything into the official channel. But if someone like you or Tom comes along and I have their own great brands, great. Let's let's amplify that. Let's make as much as we can for both parties and see what we can do.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's anyone else in the business with that style of management that I've ever seen. I think it's really unique.
1: I've, I've always had um, less resources. Well, not less resources than I need. I would say less resources than competitors probably. So yep. I've always had a work with what I have attitude. And it's like, we'll make the best out of what we have. We can't, and I think this is has been an important um, kind of mantra or lesson for us, which is we try not to spend more than we make. That, that's not a huge revelation. That's like all business should work like that. But I've seen a lot of, of automotive media brands launch big, make a splash, spend a lot of money, and they they end up not lasting long because their money runs out before their traffic comes. Totally. And and we've always tried to be like, look, let's not let us not live above our means. You know, whatever we do, we need to pay for. So we've always we've always worked with scrappy budgets and and things like that. Uh, not to say we're cheap or we we don't have a, a good budget ourselves. We certainly do at this point after having a lot of success, but. But yeah, it's it's a work with what you have mentality because there's 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 no one to go to to ask for another million dollars
2: to do this thing, right? It's yeah. like We see this in the YouTube world too where maybe not necessarily money related but work related, which is, you know, someone says, "I'm launching X site." We see it all the time, especially in the EV world, it's it's a new wave of EV YouTubers. And they're like, "We're going to produce a video here, here, and here, and we're going to do all this stuff." And then they get to producing one and they're like, "Oh, that was actually harder than we thought." Right. And then it's like, oh, you just burn yourself out. And so I think, yeah, we've kind of figured out a really good formula for launching new channels, getting them up organically, not really sharing them around. I mean, honestly, we let each channel live in its own niche. I don't think anyone knows everything we're doing, which is what we kind of want to find the content we produce that you like and just watch that. Um, but it's really the slow dial and we're just building the inertia. That's the
1: only way to do it. And, and, and investors and, and, and media business owners, um, the ones I work with, I try to make them understand that, that you can't jumpstart this. You have, it has to grow organically. And usually that's slow until a point that it's not usually it's slow growth until something happens and you jump. Yep, and that's great. And you just got to make it to that jump. Figure out what it is.
2: Just ramen noodles
1: until that point. Right, right, right. Ramen <laughs> yeah. noodles to that point. Um, yeah, and and on YouTube, it's interesting because on on the website side with Autoblog and Motor One, I built those based on. The parts of print magazines that I liked the best growing up, which I liked the first 15 to 20 pages of car magazines. I liked the news. I liked the renderings. I liked the spy shots. Uh, and so I built sites that were like that blogs, basically, that pumped out a lot of news that wasn't necessarily long form, but it was like, you know, the a little bit of everything you wanted to know. And then on top of that, I layer longer form stuff like reviews and features and things like that. But I always say the the base of our pyramid is made with, um, with news posts, daily news posts. So I don't know what it's like in the YouTube world because, you know, I don't know like what people get addicted to. More than others.
2: Um, it's hard to say. It's it's. I think it's all personality. Like we we're starting a show technically on Monday, but we start filming on Sunday. We have this studio we built behind for. It. It's uh-huh. called Daily Car News. And remember Fast Lane Daily with Derek D. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So we're we're recreating this because no one's done it. Yeah. So we we found this awesome presenter who's really funny and charismatic, and he's going to get in there. And every morning he's here at six a.m. producing a show, and it's going to suck for the first year and a half. And then hopefully it'll build an audience. Yeah. And yeah. So exactly. that's, that's how we just, we just know that everything sucks when we start it. We, we started like three or four new channels in January. We have a, a gaming channel, we have a, a micro mobility channel, daily car news, and I think that's all the new ones. Yeah. And, and you, you hang on to it
1: as long as you feel you can before. Yep make it but before it either has that jump or the sunset yeah, yeah exactly. exactly
2: and we just have to experiment but it's all low dollar stuff uh all right let's talk about cars because that's what we're here to do sure uh can, you're an ev enthusiast i would say i am and, and inside evs turned me into that
1: when we acquired inside evs and i started working on that site i just it, it just was so clearly the future that i eventually bought a model 3 and basically have said to myself i'm, I'm I'm never buying another gas car again unless it's like, you know, a 30 year old classic from the 90s that I just want to own for fun,
2: but like never as a daily driver again. So, um, you are one of the like three people in automotive media that owns a Tesla because everyone seems to hate them. And yeah. I don't understand this notion. Go, going like, back to the conversation go? of how you cover Tesla neutrally.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I, I think a lot automotive. of automotive. I think a lot of automotive media does not cover Tesla uh, in a neutral way because they get colored by how they feel about Elon Musk. They get colored about how they feel about Tesla fans and fanatics. Uh, and they they kind of don't look at the company or the product and put the other things aside. And you can make arguments about, you know, maybe you can't separate those things, but but I try to. Look, I'm an Apple fanatic. And I can't argue that Steve Jobs was a nice person, right? Right, exactly. He was, a, yeah. he was an asshole for most of his life. Yes. Uh, and I don't know why in some businesses uh, it takes an asshole to change the world, but it did in the case of Apple and it has been in the case of of Tesla. I, I don't have to like the guy, um, but I don't have to... I mean, I I don't really see any reason to hate Elon Musk. I I guess I just look at the product and what they're trying to do. And they've been so revolutionary in the automotive industry, not just for the product they they created, but in things like manufacturing and things like marketing by virtue of the fact they have no marketing. It's genius. It's incredibly genius. Do you know how much money... Automakers spend on marketing, they're the biggest advertisers in all segments. That's like a, a huge percentage of what you pay for a car is paying for advertising. And and Tesla doesn't spend a dime on it. It's it's absolutely incredible how they've worked that. I think that's the kind of probably the envy of every automaker. Um so so yeah, I think they've just they they've revolutionized the auto industry in so many ways. And it's fascinating to watch traditional automakers react, right? And and most of them have been with contempt and whatever. Tesla's, you know, I'm not going to do anything Tesla's doing because they're dumb and they're going to go away. And and that's been like the the thing from the beginning. And I think only recently, com- recently, companies like Ford have started to take pages from Tesla's book. And I think the Mach E took a lot from Tesla's book, and and all for the better. I mean. For me, in terms of like EVs I could afford, the Machi is the one I would choose Um, because of, you know, they went for the 300 mile range number when others were falling so much so far short of it. They put emotion into their vehicle by calling it a Mustang and making it sexy. Uh, They did all of these things right. And I almost look at it as like a Model Y with better panel gaps, you know? It's, yeah, it's
2: actually better than a Model Y in many respects, yeah. but, um, and, and Ford really, I think it's great to see the CEO of Ford, you know, chatting with Elon. We've seen it with Herbert Deese as well. Exactly, these, I think those are
1: the smart automakers.
2: Yeah, they have to be. And honestly, like I would love to see Herbert Deese leave Volkswagen Group and go to Tesla. That would just be That's the biggest you to everyone. Um, I, I'm so interested in the next, you know, whatever, five years. Is Tesla going to
1: remain independent is somebody going to acquire Tesla? Which I don't even know if that's possible. Is Tesla... I, I think what's more likely, if it doesn't remain independent, is that Tesla is going to acquire a traditional automaker. Interesting. And, I don't know if they need to do it. I think... Wait, I don't right, know, I don't they know if they need to do it either. They're they're putting up... Um, Manu- assembly plants like their tents. They they yeah. get them up like like that so fast. So fast. They're they're innovating so much in manufacturing and taking out so much cost and complexity. And like you look at the Cybertruck, and I know it's delayed, and I know it's not here yet, and I know most people think it's ugly, but like. It is. They created <laughs> They created a truck that doesn't require paint. Do you know how much money that saves? And yeah. it doesn't matter because they, they, they saw that everybody was wrapping their Model 3s and Model Ys anyway. So why paint it? People are just going to wrap it or they can wrap it if they want. Yep. Like, it, it, it's funny because at CES, we saw BMW come out with that paint changing thing. And I thought to myself, that's totally a cool trick. But you just made paint, something that was already incredibly complex and expensive, like 10 times more complex and expensive. It's
2: temperature sensitive, too. They kept checking it with heat guns and stuff.
0: They had a backup in a trailer just in case the main one failed. Exactly. So, like, it was was a neat trick. It's a cool
2: concept. And it got them a ton of views. And guess what? Finally, someone said something nice about an iX. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's funny. I hear such great things about the iX as an EV. But
1: I don't know if I could... Drive that, (laughs) but look, look at, look at my bias. I've got an order in for a Cybertruck, and like that's ugly. But I'm like, I don't care. I want to drive the most futuristic, highest range truck there is. I think
0: Cybertruck is brilliant. Um, So you know, a lot of people complain about Tesla's paint quality, and so Tesla's like, okay, we won't paint it.
1: Like, (laughs) like they just look at problems, and rather than deciding them by by committee and coming up with a terrible solution like most automakers do, they just
2: you know, come up with like an elegant solution and they rewrite the rules, you know? I really wish Tesla would make an RV because that approach, a total refresh to uh, class B, class C, um sort of touring which is becoming a huge thing and it will continue over the next five to ten years i mean we we've seen like old people have been RVers. now me my friends people my age out of college yeah. they all want these sprinters they're everywhere here in colorado on every corner mm-hmm. and so they also all suck they're terribly built they all fall apart um and so so why I, do they have to
1: be so garbage I, I don't know if you know this but my 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 family has been in the RV industry for a long time. Yep. Uh, my my dad and my uncle owned an RV rental company for a very long time. did Mark Wahlberg buy it? Yes. Uh, Mark Wahlberg just bought it, and it's now become a um, Airstream dealer, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, nice. My uncle my uncle got to talk to Mark Wahlberg. Uh, he's big in the family. Uh, <laughs> but I've been I've been around RVs since I was a teenager, and you're right. This is an industry that builds terrible quality products Um, like they I mean balsa wood walls they rattle and 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 they this industry also doesn't innovate like everybody buys their RV door from the same company in Elkhart Indiana they all buy their bumpers from the same place they all buy their their showers from the same place so there's like innovation is is glacially slow but it's accelerated a lot recently with how um, popular the segments have gotten and EVs are an opportunity for them to innovate like they they never have before and like you said with with the Tampa show uh that just happened that we were talking about there were there were two class b electric rvs launched and an electric trailer and i mean honestly i think the electric trailer is the smarter solution in the near term because you're you're going to have your car that's got let's say, an 80 to 100 kilowatt battery, and then you're going to have a trailer that has another 80 to 100 kilowatt battery, and that trailer is basically going to make itself feel like it weighs nothing being towed, and it's going to be able to extend... It'll probably be able to not just account for its own weight so that it doesn't lower the range. It might extend the range of the of the vehicle towing it, which is even better. Um, and, and And so when you look at, like, a Sprinter or... A transit like you said like you said in the last conversation we had about this you would you really need like a 200 to a 400 kilowatt hour battery pack which then you're talking about an extreme expense uh yeah
2: expense weight weight recyclability i mean just cost uh, charging time yeah everything (laughs) gets worse versus i can just put diesel in a tank and go
1: I don't know I don't know if you had this debate before you bought the Revel but we really debated over getting something that was an RV that was self-contained that drove itself around versus a trailer because yep, we thought about this because when you have a camper van like you have that that's your daily driver too you camp and then if you want to go anywhere you got to break camp Yep. drive somewhere and come back. Put
2: everything away first. Put of all. everything away. I've learned don't leave anything on countertops. It's a yeah. disaster. It'll it'll break <laughs> something. It'll fly off the counter.
1: So Whereas a trailer, it, it's longer, it's less maneuverable, but you get somewhere, you unhook, and then you have a vehicle you can drive around and a base camp that you can you just leave there. So I, I think there's virtues for both, and we're gonna we're gonna do what you did. We bought an Echo, which is like a Revel, so it's all self-contained. But I'm curious, like, are we going to, like, halfway through, or are we going to be like, should we buy, like, a Fiat 500 to tow behind us because we're sick of, of breaking down down camp all the time when we just so go So I out have movies?
2: that thought, but I think I want one – you know those – these new overlanding trailers, they look super rad yeah. with these, like, lift kits and the rooftop oh, yeah. tents. And, like, what we're finding is, like, you've gone camping with us in the Rebel, and we've brought some of the team out, too, where we, you know, we did this one cool day where we brought electric motorcycles, we brought a yeah. tent, we brought all of our friends, and we all went – I mean, we're in the mountains. We just went like an hour away from our house. And then we were like, where do we sleep, everyone? And we're like, oh, now we're erecting tents and everything. I'm Uh like, wouldn't it be cool if we could just bring more beds with us? And so I've been kind of thinking, okay, what I really want to do is start an R V channel, but this we're we're just way overworked. So this is a next year project. But I'll I'll work with you on some of these trailer things. And I was like, okay, let's let's do some towables and i think that's the perfect solution keep the sprinter as the driver with like just yeah. stuff in the cabinets and then sleep in the trailers
1: well our, our um you mentioned to me you might get an echo they have the pop-top echo too so that could sleep four with two i'm not even spaces. familiar
2: with this so it's an echo that raises
1: up yeah it's got a, it's got a bed on the top and it and it
2: raises like that Oh, um, cool. so you
1: sleep two up there you can sleep two in the back of the echo you could pull a towable
2: sleep another two the Echo is great because it's on the transit chassis, which I've learned the Mercedes chassis genuinely sucks. Up oh, here, really? well,
1: what haven't you liked
2: about it? Uh, it's just the engine, it, it ah, the engine. altitude at sea level, it's perfect. Yeah, keeping that really like the transits
1: uh eco boost turbocharged EcoBoost. yeah
2: they're yeah. so fast they're i mean it's a race van those things yeah. <laughs> and then you can even tune them like it's crazy the sprinter is so slow it lives at wide open throttle full boost oh going God. down the highway at 80 miles an hour um and it's just so laggy you put your foot down in a red light and i'm like power breaking it at every stoplight just to get it on boost before uh-huh. i go uh, really terrible engine calibration. And then as soon as we get down to LA, I mean, you couldn't even keep up with the thing in the Miata.
0: But, well, yeah, it's a Miata. But, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's a race van at sea level, but it sucks. And everyone has one up here. So I don't know yeah. what Mercedes was thinking. But By the way, there's another bed you could get out of either of the, either
1: your Revel or the Echo. There's, um, there's a blow up mattress that is designed to basically fill in all the crevices in the front cab to form mm. a bed out of the two front seats. So really, it's got a middle section that like goes down to the floor, but then it comes up over the seats. And, no and I think they make them designed specifically for the transit or, or the um, sprinter or the, the Ram van. Oh, we need that. Um, yeah. And it, and, and it
2: makes a single bed, but again,
1: that it's bed. always going to be
2: like me. And then like, there's a friend and I'm like, You know, our friend Drew runs Martian Wheels. We were out at at Sonoma Raceway doing a shoot recently. And like, sorry, Drew, I love you, but you're not sleeping in the bed with me. And he slept in the (laughs) Tesla. And so like it would be great to have an opportunity to sleep someone else. Yeah,
1: yeah. These are all you know separate spaces you can get people to sleep in. My hope with the Echo is that it can handle itself off road just a little bit. It is all wheel drive, which is great. It's a dually, right? It is a dually. Uh, but, and like um, companies like Quigley have already come out with lift kits and and to fit bigger, bigger tires. so Uh, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping from the factory, like, you know, I'm not looking to go off-road, off-road, but you know, I want to get back into, Uh, we're going
2: to go off-road, (laughs) off-road. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Um, When you come and visit, we're taking that thing on some trails. Oh my God. God. We'll (laughs) see, we'll
1: see how comfortable with, with it we
2: are by that time. Yeah. Just break it in by that point. So you don't worry about it.
1: I'm still waiting for it. It was, it was originally supposed to come last like September, October, and now April is as soon as it's expected. Um. they got hit by the chip shortage and then they had a big recall for their shower. <laughs> their shower was draining water on top of the inverter. So oh, that's such a Winnebago thing though. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it took them a long time to come up with a fix. So they, they is finally it a separate shower or is it a, it's a wet bath.
1: It's, it's a combination. It's got a pivoting wall inside the bathroom That's right. where when it's one way it's, it's just the toilet and the sink mm-hmm. and it's the whole room is that. And then you, you turn the wall and then it's all shower and everything else is protected against the water.
2: That's so much better than our solution, which is like everything gets wet. Everything gets wet. Yeah, the and wet it's bath. so awkward. And then like I, there's not enough room for me to actually, with the door closed, sort of dry off in the shower. And like mm. the best thing about the Revel and the Echo is we can bring showers wherever we go. Exactly. I love that. But um, there's some innovative work going on with, like, extending the curtain out into the main walkway. And it's it's tight. The the Echo has a lot more room. And, you know, with two dogs, like, we are just jammed in this thing. Have you ever looked at um, the company Advanced RV?
1: No. They make pretty much just custom jobs um so they're very expensive we're talking you know three hundred thousand dollars probably minimum but right. they have a shower system that has a cool bar that goes out and it it kind of pushes the whole curtain um not just at the top i think but maybe in the middle too it pushes Ooh. it out to give you a lot more elbow room um, they're using recirculating shower technology oh, which that's is pretty cool. cool that's where like you know you can make Three gallons of water last for eight showers.
2: Yeah, because um, the water tanks on these are small. What's the tank in the- It's actually really good. It's 50 gallons fresh
1: water, 50 gallons gray. And then the the sucky part is it's five a five-gallon black cassette.
2: Oh, so that's cassette what we toilet. have. It sucks. It's the worst part.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to buy a separate- uh, I'm going to buy an extra five-gallon tank so we can at least swap them
2: out. Um, I, it's actually lasted us like a week at a time for two people. That's not bad. Uh, which which is great and like honestly like when we're driving we'll just use a truck stop or go into right. a love you just use another like. bathroom whenever yeah yeah so it's it's just for like oh can we not stop or in middle of the night type situation yeah i'm um, pretty i'm pretty jazzed about the 50 gallon fresh water though because that's yeah, bigger 4. than anything 5. we saw and we get maybe 3 days if we're lucky so that's like a sh- two showers a day that's yeah. Two Both showers a day. Yeah. a day, really quick. We're talking like spray yep. off soap, spray as quick as we can off. Yeah, the the submarine showers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be
1: interesting. I don't know how much. I I'm interested to see the share of uh, boondocking we do, like free camping on on Bureau of Land and Management land, versus RV RV parks. I I hope so. Yeah. Why um, would you
2: want to go to an RV park and be around people?
1: Exactly, exactly. When we, you know, a lot of RV parks, the view ain't great.
2: You know, you're just staring at other RVs and stuff. And so, yeah, suck, I, but on the East Coast, there's not many opportunities. But here's what we found no one ever checks on it, at least in the van. We just park anywhere. We've camp- I've camped in that thing in the middle of Brooklyn, just parked it on the street. I think
1: you can get away with that more. Yeah, maybe more than, the, than the, Echo. the
2: Echo, because the Echo doesn't look like a normal van.
1: It, yeah, it definitely throws program. off RV vibes, I think. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. Lot more. <laughs> but I, you know, we honestly, we're we're gonna get. Do you have harvest hosts?
2: Yes, love harvest host, the I'm, best. I'm excited about trying. I just got. Them. Hold on, I gotta show you this. So, uh, I hope you can still hear me. Harvest yeah, we can. hosts is basically wineries, breweries, and distilleries that host uh, parking spots for our audience. It's ninety nine dollars a year, something like that. We went to this one in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, just a few weeks ago. And the, the like totally homebrew Casca, this is a gin bottle here. And we love this. We stayed at one. We actually didn't stay overnight, but we stopped in at one that was a nuclear um, uh, launch site wow. for a missile gotcha. in the middle of Kansas. It was the coolest thing. I thought I was going to die because the dude's like, <laughs> oh, let me take you on a tour. And then he's like, oh, I need to switch the breaker on the other side of this 30-ton blast door. And so oh I was like, this is it. We're dying. Um, but then he came, he was a little bit of an odd guy, but yeah, I, I didn't go in that you just see cool things. Right, and, and you're, you're right. Most of them are
1: like wineries or breweries, and we don't really drink, so we're a little concerned about like, because you're supposed to spend money at each one. So yeah, you just give them 20 bucks or yeah, something. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. And, and then some of them are really like uh, when they're not wineries or, or, or uh, breweries, There, you know, could be a museum, could be a golf course, you know, there's all these other random places that are doing harvest house. So yeah, I'm really excited for that. We just started booking um, some stays like we're, we got a parking spot for the Albuquerque uh, balloon fiesta, which is their big hot air balloon thing.
2: So we're starting to realize we do have to plan a little if we want to if we want to see some things. That's the hardest part for us because, um, as Jordan knows, planning and me do not go hand in hand. spur of the moment, yeah. yeah, just wake up in the morning. What are we going to do today? So, um, and we don't we don't want to have a route. We kind of just want to kind of go and just be like, where do you want to go next? Where do you so that's go next? the biggest problem with Harvest Hosts is we'll just like start driving and then when we get tired, we're like, all right, what's around here where we can stop. And thankfully there's enough BLM land or just like even side of the road. Like, I don't care. Once we put up the shades, we're in our own little house. Um, but Harvest Host, you do need to book like a day in advance. Oh, that's not bad though. I thought no, it might it's be not. more. If you know you're going to see going that way, yeah, relatives or something like this, and there's some amazing things. The other thing that I highly recommend you just keep on your, I think they just launched an app in partnership with Land Rover is called Atlas Oscura. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you signed up for, or, or I follow them on Facebook, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So you just see the coolest stuff. So it'll, yeah. you put in your route and it'll say, here's all the things you could stop at. That's like, exactly. Miles that, off.
1: That, that's what we want because we have, we basically have a year carved out for this. So we have no agenda. We'll just wander. So what happens every cool after thing? the year? You're going back to motor one. What do you, you do? I don't know. I, I didn't make any commitments. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to do some work from, for motor one and some other companies we have while I'm gone. So I'll keep a connection, but I don't know. I don't it's going to run out of spec in a year. That way, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I might, I might start an RV blog. I might, you know. Yes. See. Out of spec RVing. I, so this, I think, is such a huge opportunity because I watch Matt's RV reviews and Andrew Steele's reviews every day, never miss a video. Uh-huh. So I don't watch any car content on YouTube. It's just RV stuff. That's funny. <laughs> we watch a lot of people
1: who travel in their RV full time. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a couple named The Winds. Yeah, W-Y-N-N, and they're they're sailing now. They've been sailing for yep. the past couple of years, but their original videos when they were just driving around in a in a big class A RV are excellent. They are
2: they are wonderful video producers. So um, the big question is, how do we get the RVs over to Europe? Um, I, I've I mean, already done all the U.S. I'm, I've been to every state. Like, I've it's done a good it
1: question. There, there, like, um, they're, there's a couple named Eamon and Beck who did it, and they mm-hmm. actually, when the pandemic happened, they had to abandon their uh, camper van in like Morocco, no uh, and it was there for like a year and a half in a parking lot until they wow. could go back and get it. Um, um, so yeah, I, I mean. I don't. I don't know how you do it. I imagine it's like a shipping company that handles. Yeah, put it on um, a boat somewhere. Probably, yeah, on or... a boat, and and but a lot of people do it. You can find um, RVing channels with couples who are who are doing it.
2: Um, yeah, that's like a, in five years. Once this machine is running, I just can't commit to any time. It would be cool. Like the RV industry
1: in Europe is completely different compared to the RV industry in the U.S. They have better products. They have way more innovation. Yep. Um, they have just cooler stuff all the way around. And whenever something from Europe leaks over into the U S industry, it's a huge deal because yeah, they it's can like, put cars in their class A's like, yeah. under, why can't we, why don't we do that? Why don't we sell cool that? One. That, that would be the dream. Yep. Uh, but yeah, you should go over there and buy one or, or go over there and rent one or something. They've, they've got better stuff
2: than, uh, than we've got over here. Yeah. We are working on an out of spec, uh, Germany division. So we can get, so basically we've missed out on so many German launches because, we're not there. So right near where uh, Motor One's offices are actually, like right oh. across the street, we're looking at a spot, oh, sweet. And, uh, which would be cool. Honestly, and... the, one of the
1: biggest benefits of Motor One compared to like when I was at Autoblog was, there was only one Autoblog, right? With Motor One, there's 13 editions around the world. So if Motor One US doesn't get invited to drive a car, chances are Motor One Germany did or Motor One France. So it's yeah. like, we we've never missed a first drive because we've always got one to three editions going to drive that car um based on where they live. Because all these yep. automakers are siloed in their countries. They don't really notice or even care if they invite three different motor ones.
2: They don't even talk to each other. They probably no, don't even know who they no. are. They yet. want to
1: make like uh you know, Ford Germany wants to make sure that German people read about it. So they invite Motor One Germany. Yep. Um so yeah, I I you know, when I joined Motor One, I wasn't sure about the whole global network. Oh, it's but, the move. yeah, completely became a convert because uh it has given us so many advantages like that. And the highest
2: priority, which we can't quite do because of travel restrictions, is China. That's that's by far. Well, I mean the most for, for,
1: for EVs, I think Tesla's so far ahead, but you look at the Chinese automakers like Neo and um what's another one? And there's Xpeng, BYD, yeah, and- yeah. They like to me. They're the only competition with Tesla. Like, yep. like I agree it, with that. Of course, they're competing directly in China, but I think we look at it in the U.S. as like Tesla and the Chinese automakers are going to come head to head on American soil at some point. Yep. And the the question for the other automakers is, are you going to survive? Um, because these are the are like the Chinese automakers are innovating so much they're doing battery swaps they're they're eclipsing 300 mile ranges they've got advanced driving systems as, like like Tesla's they are not messing around they they have completely like matched Tesla's as they're going um and so the, it's just a question of is what can one of them more one or more of them come over to the U.S. and introduce
2: U.S. customers to superior EV products that they have and that's going to be the thing and so like if you know in our world where we cover electric and combustion but like my i'm obviously passionate about electric cars it's just starting. We are at the such the tippy stone. I mean, last year was huge. We had all of the American startups sort of present their cars. We got to yeah. drive a lucid, we got to do the Rivian stuff, which uh, TFL is actually producing a ton of content with the Rivian right now like awesome stuff, charging tests, uh, drag races, faster than a Model Y performance, which is crazy. Wow, that is crazy, yeah, and so. I'm so into the the Rivian thing. I love that. I am too. I, I, I love the
1: Rivian. Uh, and if I don't eventually get a Cybertruck, that would be my second choice. Easy. Um, and I love those products, Lucid and Rivian, but I also recognize that they are at a point where Tesla was at eight years ago. Right. Like their production capacity is nil, right? Like they, they, they've made a good product. It is in production but they have a wait they have a wait list that's a mile long and they can only manufacture a very small number of vehicles so it's like and and for both cases they're still pretty expensive like you yeah know, it doesn't move
2: the needle to the average person it doesn't
1: move the needle and tesla's so far down that road of bringing costs down keeping range and the technology level up that, you know, I think I, I think Rivian and Lucid have a shot to be around a long time, but they're still early on, you know, they're as early on the curve as the traditional automakers are. They just have a better product than the traditional automakers. So hopefully it's that gives them true. the edge.
2: So what happens to, I don't know, I think BMW is the biggest at risk or Mercedes or one of these companies. What, will, will we see one of these giant automakers fail? I'll tell you what, in terms of their EV products,
1: I've been disappointed with, like I said, kind of with everyone except Ford Um, for one reason or another. The Germans, their first gens were all way, way too low range. All they made were good cars that happened to be electric. They were not good EVs. Right. Um, Then the Taycan came out. Great. Great platform. Great at everything. So expensive. So expensive. Doesn't
2: move the needle at all. It's honestly too expensive, I think
1: yeah i mean it's for the people who money doesn't matter right um and and so um you know you have i mean mercedes is starting to come out with its second gen stuff with like eqs but to me it's so ugly who wants to buy that like i i've often seen cars go from concept to production and like lose a lot of their passionate design i've never seen one get so dull from from concept to production as the EQS. The EQS concept was gorgeous.
2: Have you driven it, by the way? I haven't, no. Oh, it's magical. Really good.
1: Right. I mean, it's a Mercedes. It's so Again, like, I, I, don't, I don't doubt uh, Mercedes' ability to produce a great car. But to produce a great EV, and in this case, they went so far over the edge towards efficiency and having just the most aerodynamic car, they left all design out of it. Right. And then they
2: got smoked by Lucid. So what was all that work right. for? Right.
1: So what, what what was the point? So now you're Mercedes, which is a great name, but you have a 400-mile car, and this other company has a 500-mile car for the same price. Yep. You know. So uh, again, if I don't know that any automaker could buy Rivian or even Lucid at this point, but they should have.
2: Right. Yeah, they really should have. uh, You know, I know Porsche was in talks with Ativa before it became Lucid to look at technology. I think Porsche with those Rimac deal is going to just go crazy. That's
1: that's that's super interesting. The 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 Rimac uh, and over taking over Bugatti. Like, I mean, uh, clearly that that car and their technology is is top rate. But again, they've probably made like ten of them. I don't even know if it's that many. I don't even know if that (laughs) many. It could be like three. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I look at Stellantis because they're always on shaky ground. Like Chrysler is always two steps from being sold. Does Chrysler
2: sell anything other than the Pacifica? Pacifica – right now, the Pacifica Hybrid.
1: They they came out with that concept a couple of weeks ago. the What was it? The Airflow. Or yeah, we saw
2: that at CES. But was, that's was, mostly it a, a Euro concept. Yeah,
1: it was good looking. But I think, like, you know, uh, having covered EV – anybody who produces an EV, like, you show a concept that has good specs, you know, you get a thumbs up. But that's it. You've done yeah. nothing. We don't um, even – cover them anymore yeah all you've Mm -hmm. done is made a promise that you're probably going to change by the time it reaches production yeah
2: because it's a page one story when you launch it and then it's a page 11 story when you delay it so they just need right
1: yeah when you delay it so yeah Stellantis is hugely behind the curve and you know they're trying to catch up with plug-in hybrids you know jeeps everything jeep is getting a plug-in hybrid version But, but they suck they really do I mean I liked where the original Volt was heading, where it had 50 miles of range for a plug-in hybrid. To me, I think that's minimum. But it seems like the industry has decided
2: 25 to 30 miles is minimum. Yeah, so like why no more range extender we I, you know john volker i'm sure so oh, we yeah. had him on last week and we talked about you know the plug in hybrid they all pretty much do between like 18 and 40 miles but whoever asked for a car that said i really want to go 18 to 40 miles on a charge and then switch to gas i think the the real answer was the i3 range extender which was an ev 99% of the time unless you had a little backup if you need to go on a trip. The Volt was similar too, an EV. Yeah, but that trip. didn't it have like a 3 gallon gas tank? Yeah, well so there were issues with it. One, it couldn't keep up on the hills and the fuel tank was too small. It was yeah. 2.4 gallons. By the way, that was unlocked. It was 1.6 I think oh from God. the factory. So like, yeah. I mean, I've owned 3 of them. They're hilarious, but like They're great uh, cars though. The interior of the i3 is one of the best interiors yeah, ever made. They're just a little bit awkward, but I think they've aged well. That's a car that's ten well. years old, and then you see like an I3S blacked out with the little wide haunches. Like yeah, you can pick them up for cheap
0: now too, like like ten, twelve thousand dollars. So that was that. the
2: case three months
0: ago. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, a year a year or two ago, I was kind of looking, and I was like, oh no. And then right now I'm looking, it's like, oh, a used I3 from like four or five years ago is eighteen grand now. Yeah, not even wow. a range extender. It's insane. I mean, yeah, the ones I, you want are over twenty.
1: For, for our second car, we bought a Sparky V. Great which, car. Yeah, totally recommend. Uh, it was cheap, but I recently looked. It was like, I think we bought it for $9,000 at the time, and
2: it had like 13,000 miles.
1: And But now it's like worth $9,000 again. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now's the time to sell everything. I know.
1: As long as you don't need to drive to buy anything to drive, you know. Right. Keep, keep keep an electric bike or something to get around. What do you think your Tesla's
2: worth? Do you think you'll break
1: even on that thing? Oh,
2: so we're going
1: to sell it. So part of cuz like I don't want it, I, I don't want a car sitting around for a year while we're going. Yeah, that seems silly. So we're going to sell it and have it help fund what we're doing. Uh, and I've, I've looked at it, uh, and I'm probably going to sell it to a Carvana or a, yep. or one of those. Brood is paying
2: big dollars. Exactly.
1: These are the you know startups that have tons of uh, investment money that they're just blowing on on used cars. Yep. Um, so I think I I think my like what I bought it for was like fifty five, let's say. I think it was mid fifties, mm-hmm. and I definitely think I'll be able to get forty five for it. And you got a tax credit, right? I got a tax credit, um, but uh, half of one. It was was was... when it was reduced to half. Uh, It does have full self-driving, and it's a long-range dual motor. Um, I haven't really done much to it. I did put the um those wheel covers on that scratch the wheels. What are they called? Yeah. So
2: what's the story with that? Because I never oh, really I only like dabbled with it, but you were excited about these things. I was totally excited about it. And I don't even remember the name. It's uh, like you're excited about the Cyberlander, which is never going to become a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh I, I, I totally want it to, but I think you're probably right. Uh no, these were wheel covers that they almost looked like the larger. 19 or 20 inch model three wheels that you got on the performance at the time. They almost look like that, but a little different.
2: So they replaced the stock ones. Yeah. So you take the stock they, off,
1: and, and you just pop, pop this out. right on like with clips. The, the, and the company was in Cleveland too, where I live. So I was like, oh, that's super cool. So we got some to test. Tom got a set and I got a set. We, we just put them on and Tom wrote a really nice review of them. Turns out they scratch your wheels. Like they, and, and I didn't even notice because when you're in the car, you don't hear it. But once someone told me I rolled down the windows and I drove down a bumpy road and they're like rattling on the wheel. You can hear them moving. So Tom contacted them and was like, Hey, your wheel, your, your cover scratched my wheels. And and they refused to do like anything about it. Really? Um, the only thing they've done is they've come out with a strip of padding that you take the covers off, you put this padding on your wheels and then you put the cover back on. So then it stops rattling. It stops moving around.
2: How's that going to handle weather cycles? Like that's not testing. I don't know. Yeah. But
1: I, I, I've kept them on my car because if you put the old covers back on, the original ones, they the original ones don't cover the lip of the wheel. So you don't oh. see all the scratches. So you're kind of just like stuck with these wheels. So I don't know how Carvana is going to feel about these aftermarket wheel covers, but they, they honestly, they do look great. Um, they probably
2: won't even notice i don't even think anyone looks at those places i don't i
1: don't think so either i think they probably won't notice i did i did put a wrap on my interior on the piano plaque plastic i put a a matte wrap on it yeah need to do that um what else did i do oh it does have um a a clear wrap on the front the lower sides and the back fender and then i i did get it ceramic coated at the time but that was like three years ago so i don't think that's worth much anymore
0: yeah, I did sell my Fiat. I had a 1957 edition Fiat 500. Whoa. Super cool. What does yeah. a, a 1957 edition get you? So you get the vintage badges, the really cool the like wheels. retro wheels. Yeah. Um, it's all like cream and leather interior, brown leather. And I had the Celeste blue out exterior color. Oh. Amazing, <laughs> amazing car. Yeah. Um, And I sold that to Carvana and they paid like double what CarMax and even private party. Like they gave me the private party higher end KBB value for it. And it had a lot of cosmetic issues. You know, I drove it on the highway in Dallas for 40,000 miles. And so rock chipped to death and they just didn't care. They just gave me full. Like they're like, okay, here you go. How do those people stay in business? And they came, they came and picked it up. Like it was,
1: when did you sell it?
0: Recently? This was pre-COVID. This was COVID, 2019. Geez. So yeah, I got a great deal before prices were inflated.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would sell it right now because you never know how long this this inflated used car market is going to last. Well, what do you think? What does the future look like? Well, it's a, the you know, I don't know everything going on with the chip shortage, but it's astonishing that the industry has been so unprepared for this and what i've read about it is the again this is this is why companies like tesla amaze me and the traditional industry disappoints me from what i've read they the traditional automotive industry were using chips that were super old that the chip makers didn't really want to make anymore because they want to move on to newer better chips but these chips were just kind of already tested and rated for use in automobiles so they could take the the you know the the beating of being in an automobile um and so when the shortage happened these you know these chip makers basically just had no other solution for these auto for the traditional automakers because the traditional automakers got so addicted to this one style of chip and they couldn't adapt to a different chip whereas tesla was already using more advanced chips and they just switched to a different chip and wrote a little code and their production never interrupted so you know, our used, used car prices can't stay this high f- forever. I mean, they're, they're like a third of the inflation that's happening is is car prices, right? It, it, that's a huge, huge part of it. So I, I just can't imagine it that, that the traditional automakers won't figure this out, but they're so slow to move. Like, they built their supply chains, and to change that takes years,
2: you know? It's been so, wild to think about it. I mean, even from an advertising perspective, I don't understand why an automaker would even. Advertise right now. Like, yeah. Why? Why You can't. Sh- sh- don't tell them, don't yeah. tell them that. Don't tell them that. Yeah. Well, at least on our side, we don't accept any money from them. So yeah, we're good. No,
1: well, I mean, we, we do. And we've had those yeah. conversations where, where yeah. they'd be like, well, we have a new car coming out, but we've already sold as many as we can make because we can't make that many. So Really? So they're really just like, no, there's no
2: need anything. to do anything.
1: Kind of, but they, you know. They still want good PR. They see, want here's the thing. They, they may have cut their budgets, but they can't get rid of advertising because they, they're they they're a machine that already has that part of the machine built. They have right. a marketing department. So it's not like they can fire everybody. They have to keep paying for it. So, yep. you know, they, they do campaigns to build awareness or to, to shape opinion or, or do things like that. But yeah, they're not really advertising to like sell the car. They have no problem selling all the cars they're building right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry to keep you for an hour and six minutes, but we could go on for another five. <laughs> no, I love these. I
1: love, I love doing podcasts. I love listening to podcasts and, and always happy to talk to you
2: guys. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much, John. Uh, where can people follow you or see your stuff? I mean, obviously you you do some writing for Inside these and Motor One, I guess.
2: Yeah. But... Like I said, I'm kind
1: of the wizard behind the curtain, so I don't know that they'd <laughs> even notice when I pop up on the site. Um, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm still doing some writing for Motor One. Uh, working with inside EVs. And actually, I don't know if you guys uh, heard about this or remember, but our company uh, bought DuPont Registry. Yep. uh, And I'm doing a lot of work with them too. So I'll probably show up there as well.
2: I think you should start an RV travel podcast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: A podcast would
2: be great because I don't have any video editing skills, so a podcast would work a lot better for me than... Yeah, you just go and say, channel. hey, we went here today. It'd be fun to do like a little eight-minute segment, what you do, where you went, what you saw, how that goes doing.
0: Or even longer, because yeah, there's a lot of people making RV content on YouTube, but I don't know of hardly any people podcasting, and a lot of RV people consume podcasts. Because That's right, they're while driving. they're driving. So While go for driving. it. Long form, two Good hours, idea. whatever you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me how to monetize it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well,
2: yeah, I don't know if you can monetize podcasts. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I could probably get some 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 nice free gear out of it to test. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, and you can inflate numbers so easily on podcasts. Five million people listen to me. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> like, exactly. the proof? I don't, I don't know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cool. So yeah, then you can find me on my podcast launching, launching soon uh, <laughs> on your favorite uh, podcast streaming platform.
0: Awesome. Well, John, we hope to have you back very soon. We really enjoyed this conversation and we'll see you guys all in the next one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this again when I'm on the road.
0: Sounds good. All right.